4, verses 7 to 11, which is on page 720 of that black hardback Bible in the view in front of you. Uh, real quick, if you need a Bible at home, please feel free to take that one with you today. Um, you're more than welcome to have it. Today, uh, Pastor Kevin Larson is going to be preaching the final part of our What If God series. So if you turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, stand with me. I'll read the passage, you follow along, and then I'll pray and invite Pastor Kevin on to preach. So 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 1, and I'm reading from the ESV. It says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We praise you for your glory and your majesty and also your love for us. God, would you use this passage to transform us this morning? Would we be a congregation that is oriented uh, towards one another? Uh, would we use the gifts that you've given us for your glory, but also for the good of our church family? God, I pray for Pastor Kevin this morning, uh, that you would fill him with your spirit that you would be working through his words and all the time and the energy that he put in studying and writing this week. Um, God, most of all, we thank you for Jesus, for everything he's done for us, uh, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. But it's awesome to look up and see the families up in the balcony, too, with all the little kids. Makes me happy. Yeah, yeah. Hey, guys. Um, next week, we'll resume our study in the book of Galatians. Um, but this morning, I'm going to finish up a what's been a three-part vision series entitled, What If God? And I think maybe we might have the monitors up here. It's kind of making it ultra stereo here, so maybe that's not the case. But anyway. Um, what if God? We've been walking through these three questions together, um, and they'll be up on the screen. One, how do we demonstrate right here at this moment in this meeting that we believe the real ministry of the gospel is one of prayer? Second week, we saw how do we encourage one another right here, right now, to be God's means of reaching our neighbors with the gospel? And third, for today, how can we seize this very moment as well as the rest of our week to care with one another through the gospel. So what if we took these to heart? What if God really heard and worked through our prayers? What if he could really use us to reach our neighbors? And for today, what if he really works and renews our brothers and sisters through us? What if we really believe these things and our lives showed it? And especially during these days that have felt really dark. Last weekend, my wife Amy and I had the opportunity to tag along with Bobby, you know, our, our deacon of music here, and his wife Laura to a Phoebe Bridgers concert. Now, if you don't know her music, it's what you might call a bit gloomy, 
She writes really catchy melodies, but her lyrics can be a little bit depressing, you might say. Yeah. And at risk of painting some maybe unfair stereotypes here, you might have known that before the show started. It's like you had to have three things to get into the show. You had to, of course, present your ticket. You had to show your vaccine card. And you had to wear, apparently, clothing that was all black. And um, looking around the crowd, um, and I saw the people there, it looked like most of the crowd, they were, yeah, about the age of my almost 16-year-old daughter. But it was a, a pretty epic show, don't judge me. I really enjoyed it. But anyway, I was, it got me to thinking about some of the big hits when I was her age, and one was by the band R.E.M. And you probably heard it. It's called, It's the End of the World as We Know It. Now, I could start chanting through it for you, but I would probably sound like, if you've seen this, Chris Farley and David Spade in Tommy Boy. I won't do that. A couple years later, um, the artist Billy Joel, you know, wrote their quip tales with his song, We Didn't Start the Fire. So it, there were parallels in that it featured a lot of mindless chanting also, although I think it made a lot more sense than R.E.M.'s song. No offense, Eric, there, but... Those were kind of the two big anthems in my day, in my high school days, and they pretty much had the same theme. Well, the past couple of years have felt at times like the end of the world, and I've said this before, but I think that may say a little bit more about us. You know, if, if this is our mentality, if America is going through this, if I, Kevin Larson, suffer this way, then surely the world's about over, right? Yeah, something wrong about that. But there's a sense also in which it also rings true. Life is just hard in a fallen world. Yes. And it seems like everything around us has been on fire. Life has felt harder as the virus has been surging across the earth. It's felt like, yeah, this is the next level that at times the end is near. Notice what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 7 again. The end of all things is at hand. He says back then, and it still applies today, the end is nigh, guys. And it's not like he's saying, Jesus, I guarantee this, will show up for sure tomorrow in glory in the clouds. No. And it's not what we're supposed to hear today either. He's saying this, I think. Everything essential in God's salvation story has taken place. Christ's coming, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. His outpouring of the Spirit on the church. It's all happened. It's all in the past. And now we wait until the day of His return. When, thank you, Jesus will resurrect our bodies. He'll restore our fallen world. He'll rid this world of all this sickness, all this pain, all this darkness. Peter says right here, right now, we're living in the last days. But we don't just sit here looking up in the clouds. Right? How do we live when it's the end of the world? Peter tells us here what to do, how to live, and it's, it's kind of shocking, at least to me, how simple it is. It seems like he just says, we care for one another with the gospel. We live as gospel community together. Now I'm going to follow an outline similar to the first couple of weeks in this series. We'll talk about what family looks like in the last days. We'll talk a bit about why we resist it so much. We'll talk about what we miss out on as we do. We'll talk about how we can maybe get back on track. And then again, we'll close with some time just imagining what it could look like in us together and spending some time in prayer about it. 
First, what family looks like in the last days? How should we live? What does Peter say, inspired by the Spirit? What does he call us to? What's needed for us to survive, but maybe even thrive? I think he gives us four things. They strike me as really relevant, and that really starts with the first. First, clear minds. Wow. Pretty tightly. Clear minds. So here, he takes two words that we see in verse 7, and he kind of stacks them upon each other to make a point. The, the first word focuses on being reasonable, on being sensible, and the second emphasizes really what it says, not being drunk, not being foolish. Both words can be translated, and they are in the Bible, as self-control, and together they give us this picture of having a clear mind. This is a real complicated, but to love each other well, to serve each other well, we can't walk around dazed and confused. Here Peter gives a reason for the sake of your prayers. If that's the most important thing that we can do for one another, what we talked about the first week, we have to be in the right frame of mind to do this well. Having the right priorities. The right vision for what's true, good, and beautiful. The proper understanding of the needs of our brothers and sisters. To love each other well, we have to have clear minds. Second, affectionate hearts. Listen again to verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. What's, what's important? What's most important? No surprise here. Peter says it's love. Love. Through our actions, and that's, that's good, but also in our hearts. He says we're to love each other earnestly. That's persistently. That's passionately. That's with perseverance. That's with intensity. Now this, this statement is also qualified by Peter. It's explained further. Since, because, love covers a multitude of sins. This is almost an exact quote of Proverbs 10, 12. Love, he says, doesn't go around searching for things to get mad about. It doesn't drag up things from the past. It's eager to overlook offenses, to not even bring them up. Now, this isn't talking about not bringing things to light, you know, that, that need to be brought up to light. Let's, you know, because the church in certain ways has covered up things. No, this is just saying in everyday church life... People that love one another just aren't nitpicking at one another. Affectionate hearts don't want to accuse because guess what? That's what Satan does, right? He's the accuser. We want to speak the words of Jesus to one another, especially now as tired and weak as so many of us are. Third, open homes. Verse 9 says, show hospitality with one another without grumbling. To me, this is really striking. So it's the end of the world as we know it. What are we supposed to do? Invite people over? Cook good food? Laugh? Cry? Love? Show hospitality. And he says, it to, says to do it without grumbling. Even on our best days, as fallen sinners, we have to fight against that. Right? Whenever someone doesn't get the hit to leave, you know, they're there two hours late or... You know, people are, you know, grinding cake, you know, into your carpet or, you know, going in your kid's room and destroying all the toys. Like, we have to fight against it. But in days like this, it seems even harder because we're out of practice. 
We've all been closed up maybe a bit too long. It's, it's easy to grumble, especially now. But God calls us away from that to welcome one another into our homes in love. Carlos, I know we're all in different places, and this is still complicated, but we desperately need to be in one another's presence again. We desperately need to give each other hugs again, and even to take some risks to do so. Fourth, generous lives. We hear about gifts that God has given us in verses 10 and 11. He writes, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. The Lord has been so generous to us, and one way is that he's given us, as a family, gifts. Through his grace, it says, through charis, that's the word there. And to take it another level, the Greek word for gift is charisma. Charisma, okay? Within the word gift itself is this idea of grace. These are grace gifts. They're things given from God because he loves us so that we can love each other. We're to pass them on to other people. We're not to hoard them for ourselves. To use those gifts to serve one another. And as Peter says, we're stewards of them. That means we're managers. We're, we're entrusted from God with those. With that grace he's given us. He calls this grace varied. So again, we're not all the same. We've all been given, we've been given different gifts. We are one body. We have many different parts as we see elsewhere in 1 Corinthians and Romans. Each of those gifts is meant for the common good. And Peter is saying we need each other. We need the diverse gifts that we bring to the table. But here he, he, he clearly talks about two main categories. And I think that's what these are, are categories. Speaking and serving. Speaking, yeah, it includes what I'm doing now, but I don't think it's limited to that. As I speak, or you do, or God takes you, this idea of speaking the oracles of God, it sounds really weird, but I think it's just saying that we faithfully proclaim what God says. We, we proclaim his gospel as we go. Not just our musings, not just our babblings. When we serve one another, what does it say? We serve by the strength that God supplies. So whether we're speaking or serving, we're reliant upon Him. So we all serve, though. We all speak. Yes, but most of us are more inclined toward one or the other. The point, though, is that those gifts are given for one another, and as it says here, not for our glory, but for His. So what are we supposed to do at the end of the world when things around us look like a total dumpster fire? Speak the gospel. Use our words with one another. Show the gospel. Let our deeds speak. That's what God calls us to do. Our muscles may have atrophied a bit. But he wants us to stretch our legs. He wants us to get back to it. And the point is, he is faithful, and he will do it through us. So think about the list again. Clear minds, affectionate hearts, open homes, generous lives. What's Peter commanding again? Just normal stuff. Right? The, the strange thing about this list is that these things aren't strange. What's this all about? We're caring for one another with the gospel. We're seeking to be people that are, are formed by a spirit, that are being transformed by his word. We're getting clear heads, 
with all the turmoil around us, and then we're trying to just live as family together, to love each other well with whatever God has given us, with our houses, with our muscles, with all our hearts. This is gospel community, and it's been a big part of our vision and our experience in Kara since the very beginning. I want to give you an example of what this kind of life can look like. This past Friday, our women had a fellowship night at the Lookout Farm. If you haven't been there, you're missing out. But a few years back, two sisters, Kelly and Kimmy, opened up this business. And they, with their husbands, Ryan and Aaron, moved out into the country and they began growing lavender. You might have heard of it. But almost from the beginning, it's been a family business, but even at a whole other level. They, they both, first of all, have pretty large, extended, loving families. But I'm also even talking about the wider Karis family. In the early years, even, there were Karis brothers and sisters out there helping them out, giving extra hands, cheering them on during the busier season. But then, over the last year, everything kind of caught on fire. Not literally, but, but Aaron and Kimmy realized one day that their infant daughter wasn't doing well. They had to rush her to the hospital. And before they knew it, you know, days turned into months, turned into a year of them living in a hospital at St. Louis while this business was two hours away. During that time, all sorts of family and friends, but also many Karis folks pitched in and helped. So both of their missional communities spent time out there prepping, planting, harvesting, the serving part, but then there was also the speaking part. Cards, gifts, words of encouragement, meals visits, all of course in the middle of a global pandemic. Now I know this was a hard, dark time for the couple, for the families, really. But I know they'd say they weren't alone because they were surrounded by gospel family. And that's the vision that Peter gives us here, right? And not just when things are easy, especially, especially when things are tough. Gospel family. Well, second, I want to talk briefly about why we resist this and why we miss out on this life. I think we could point to at least four things. Four things. We first often don't see our responsibility. We've been talking about this recently in Karis, but we, we tend to think of ourselves as individuals, especially in America. We hesitate to tie ourselves to the community where our good rises and falls with the common good. But that's just not the picture we see of God's people in the New Testament. It's definitely not the life the early church lived together that we see in Acts. God wants you and I to link up with gospel family and feel ownership, to feel responsibility. We second, don't look for opportunity. We can be so self-absorbed, stuck in our worlds, thinking about our own needs. I grew up in a basketball gym, you know, not very athletic, but the coach's son. You can't see people open when you're dribbling, looking down, staring at the ball. The gospel changes our orientation. We become others-centered, others-focused. Our eyes are up. We're watchful. We become aware of those around us. We're looking for their hurts, for how we can help. We're thinking about their needs and how we can meet them. And third, shy away from vulnerability. When we seek to love, we will no doubt end up getting hurt. We will. 
when we open ourselves up to be loved, we'll also for sure experience pain. And we fear that. So we tend to keep ourselves closed off. But I love these words from C.S. Lewis that maybe you've heard. And he basically says, no possibility of pain, no chance of gain. He writes, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. We fourth run away from adversity, don't we? Um, loving one another just requires sacrifice. It, it, it hurts. It, no doubt about it. And especially now when we're smarting from the last couple of years, we can feel like we can't handle our own struggles, much less the people around us. But again, what we just read, we're, we're trying to serve with the strength that God supplies. God wants us to press through and draw on His strength because our brothers and sisters around us need us desperately. Well, I want to talk about, um, third, what we miss out on when we run from this family. And I think there are two really big categories I want to give you. We miss out on being formed and deepened and being known and loved. Being formed and deepened first. Living in gospel family, making ourselves vulnerable, wandering into struggle, that is just how God grows us. How he takes us deeper in the gospel. And this isn't just as we receive from others, but this is as we give to others. We're stretched, right? We're brought out of ourselves, our own resources, and brought into the wide, wild mercy of God. And ultimately, we receive from Him. So by missing out on gospel family, by running from it, we miss out on change. The second thing, being known and loved. This is tragic. We all want to be a part of family. We do. We want, even if it's really hard, to be fully known. All of our hopes, dreams, loves, passions, but even all of our sins, struggles, warts, blemishes. We want to be known, not just for who we wish we were, or who we hope to one day be, Known for who we are right now and accepted in that right now, loved deeply, passionately. Not feeling like that if we could just keep up the act that people will drop us and move on. Known, loved, now in family until Christ returns. So not being in community, not being in gospel family, we rob ourselves of so much of blessing, of joy, of healing, of hope. Here's one thing I feel that I have to say. Um, I know that it'll, it'll be just some on the screen, but brothers and sisters, I know this time has been hard, but I'm just saying, come back the best you can. Or we're not going to make it through. You're not going to make it through. The family is God's means to make you more like Him. 
It's his means of keeping you secure in him. I know it's not that easy, and I know the pandemic's not over. But as you can, come back for your sake, for our sake. Well, fourth, I want to talk about what we need to get back on track. There's so much I can say, and you'll notice the themes from the previous weeks. But how do we get back to this kind of life that Peter talks about here? We can yell our, at ourselves in the mirror. Get back to church, Kevin, now, right? Or we can yell at each other, you need community, what are you thinking? But that ultimately isn't going to change our hearts. Here are three thoughts. First, we need to be awakened by the gospel. We talk about this here all the time. We need our hearts revived, renewed, really remembering and really feeling deeply what God has done for us in Christ. We can yell at ourselves all we want, but this has to sink in and then spill out around us. Think about this for a second. Jesus, the wise one, the most clear-headed man ever and forever, poured out his heart, his whole life for us. What's hospitality? Why are we to be hospitable? It's talking about welcome, right? We have been welcomed by our Father through Jesus. That should motivate us like nothing else. Hear these words from our, our one read, gentle and lowly, and again, grab a, grab a copy. It's, it's, it's so good by Dane Wortland. Hear what he says. When we take the Gospels as a whole, and consider the composite picture given to us of who Jesus is, what stands out most strongly? Yes, he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament hopes and longings. Yes, he is one whose holiness causes even his friends to fall down in fear, aware of their sinfulness. Yes, he is a mighty teacher, one whose authority outstripped even that of the religious PhDs of the day. To diminish any of these is to step outside of vital historical orthodoxy, but the dominant note left ringing in our ears after reading the Gospels, the most vivid and arresting element of the portrait is the way the Holy Son of God moves toward, touches, heals, embraces, and forgives those who least deserve it yet truly desire it. That's Jesus. What he's done he saw us as his responsibility. He said yes to the opportunity, even though it meant leaving his glory aside. He shows us what being vulnerable looks like. He dove face first into the adversity of adversities. All for us. We have to pray that this would grasp and change our hearts. Second, we need to be shaped by the gospel. Shaped. One of the best books I've read in some time is this book called The J-Curve by, by Paul Miller. And he argues in this book that justification by faith, that if we trust in Jesus, we're right with him, that we get that. We get the substance of the gospel, but we often don't get the shape of the gospel. So he says, hey, it's great that we talk about the gospel all the time. Preach the gospel to yourself, to each other. But what does that mean? He says, we don't have any idea how to live that out. And the theme verse of the book is really Philippians 3, verses 9 and 10, where Paul says, he says he wants to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So Miller says, we understand verse 9, justification by faith, this idea of being found in him and having this righteousness given to us by God. He says, we believe the gospel, but he says, we have no idea to do what verse 10 talks about, becoming like the gospel, of identifying with Christ's death and resurrection. So he says, we got faith, or we grasp it at least, but we struggle with what it means to love. And what he does as he starts out the book, he, he uses this illustration of two historic Christian leaders to make his point. He talks about Martin Luther. So Martin Luther as the, the founder of the Reformation, he obviously got justification by faith. He's the one that's most identified as kind of retrieving that, bringing that back. He got that. About, he, he embraced Christ and his cross, but he talks about how he ended his ministry really struggling to, to put it into practice. You know, a, kind of an angry man writing some anti-Semitic things. Well, he also talks about Mother Teresa, who he says poured out her life, gave her life among the least of these. But through the course of her life, it suffered extreme anxiety regarding the state of her soul. She just couldn't really ever grasp that, that God fully loved her, independent of what she did. So what Miller says, we have to have both of those. There's a graphic that kind of pictures this. We have to have this, this grounding, this, this justification by faith, this, this, the cross reminding me that Christ dies for us. But we also have to have the, this J curve, both faith and love. So this J, what it does is it pictures this act of going down, dying with Jesus, dying with him and rising with him. This is over a lifetime, but there's, there's a million, many acts of this every day where we take on pain, where we sacrifice ourselves, and we experience resurrection in him, where we give of ourselves. Now, read the book, and I guarantee I'll come back to this later, so if you don't fully grasp the diagram or fully what I'm talking about, I may even talk about it more next week, but... Our problem is we want to talk about the gospel and tell each other to believe it more, but we need to figure out how to live it. We need to figure out what it means to identify with his death and resurrection. We need the foundation, but we need that J-curve as well. We need to embrace the gospel shape, and that is where community comes in. Where we really learn that, where we really learn to love is in the family of God. Third, we have to be reminded of reality. Reality, okay? I think this season's been a reality check. What has it taught us? That this could be our end of our time in the world. I think we've been reminded that we've taken life for granted. We've bought into this illusion, this delusion that life isn't that brief, that we don't have to live with as much urgency as the Bible talks about. But you and I, we, we could be in our last days, and what should we be up to? Well, again, the things that we see here. But as I started, we, as his people, today in 2021, we're living in the last days, and Peter says that. He says the end of all things is at hand. He says Jesus could return, and what does he want to find us doing? The things we see here. So think about this. Peter is writing this letter to believers who are in the Roman Empire is suffering. So there's a lot of concern right now about um, government overreach and just what's going to happen in America. They were in the Roman Empire. They had Nero ruling, okay? 
you know, using Christians as, as you know, as, as um, candles for the, for the patio, right? These were bad times. He's saying, Peter is saying that in these last days, in these tough days, live in these ways that we see here. Be gospel family. Peter's words are built for days like this. For even worse days than this. And in these trials, the answer isn't to do something extra or to do something more. It's to get back to the basics of what we call gospeling one another. We've always needed these things. We've always been meant to live them out. But we need them more than ever, as do the people around us. You might have seen the, the photo that many people posted on Facebook that my wife shared this past week. The last known photo of a fire truck. Ladder 118 of FDNY, a picture of them crossing the Brooklyn Bridge toward the World Trade Center. The photo shows both towers burning, but those firefighters, they drove in anyhow, and no one on that truck returned. They perished just a few minutes after the photo. But Jesus calls us to go, to die, with this hope of resurrection. In the darkest hour, when everything around us is burning. Brothers and sisters, church, this is our calling, our calling right now today. We've all certainly felt a lot of emotional motion sickness. In these last days, let us care for one another. Body of Christ, let us love one another. Well, with that, fifth, what would it look like if we believed this? Now, let me be clear. God has been so good to us here in Cardiff. I've never experienced gospel family like I have here. I know many of you would say the same thing. But let's dream a bit together, especially coming out through this hard season. What would it look like if we cared for one another in the gospel in the way we see here? Here are some ideas. Sitting across a table at a coffee shop, listening to someone's heart, and gently reminding them of Jesus and what he's done. Texting someone a Bible verse or another word of encouragement, maybe even sending snail mail to someone. Taking a walk on a trail, spending time in God's creation with a, a brother and sister while you help them carry a burden that they're carrying. Seizing whatever life stage God has you in. Serving with your maybe a little bit more free time if you're single. Counseling during a play date if you're a new parent. Modeling grace over dinner if you're an empty nester. Praying through a prayer list and reminding those on the list how much you care. Finding people sitting alone here in this auditorium and asking them, how are you really doing? Staying up late after your MC gathering, helping a brother or sister navigate a hard situation. Being the first to confess sin during your DNA group. Modeling it to your peers, inviting them to join with you in that. Taking advantage of breaks at work or school to call friends and remind them you care. Utilize, utilizing the technology we've all learned to use to encourage our family that we've sent overseas. Stopping by the hospital, even if you have to wave from outside, reminding a brother or sister that you're there for them, that you're praying for them. Giving tired parents a date night, watching their kids and praying over them when they come home. Prepping maybe a discussion of our, our gentle and lowly book and sharing it with your MC. Dropping off a meal or maybe emailing a Grubhub card to a weary mother, student, or nurse. 
taking along a younger brother or sister to do errands, maybe encouraging them in the gospel and the produce of Just some ideas of how we can be more about caring for one another through the gospel. And again, what if we believe this and really practiced it even today? So, the third question again. How can we seize this very moment as well as the rest of our week to care with one another through the gospel? I want to conclude as we have the previous two weeks with some using of our imagination. You know, God gave us our imagination. There's nothing to be scared of. I'm just going to ask you if you're comfortable. You don't have to do this, but maybe close your eyes, bow your heads. And what I want to ask you is, what would your daily life look like if you were about gospeling those around you and opening yourself up to being cared for as well in your daily life? Resurgence of revival um, of 
just the church being um, beautiful and compelling and, and showing your, your son's glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.